This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. I've been preparing for this all my life. Here's Porter on hard and taking him to school. What a great play by Jay Shante. KJ Martin climbed Bobon Mountain. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. And you've seen tonight that we, we fought together, we stayed together, and it's about damn time, man. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What's up and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, the best and only daily podcast covering your Houston Rockets. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and partner at Apollo Media. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin, the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, as well as at Apollo HOU. If you enjoy what we do here at Locked on Rockets, do me a favor, hit the subscribe button at our brand new YouTube channel, Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. We would sincerely appreciate it. Now, joining us. For today's episode is founder of NBA Draft Junkies.com and one of the hosts of the Locked On NBA Draft podcast, Raphael Barlow. Raphael, tell me really quick, who won the 2021 NBA Draft and why is it the Houston Rockets? <laughs> That's kind of a loaded question. But yes, the Houston Rockets won the draft. The only team I would say that came close was maybe the Charlotte Hornets, but I feel like they had two guys that are really swing for the fences guys. I thought that the Rockets just had the the best draft, and I'm not saying it because, like I said, I'm on Locked On Rockets. I even made a joke on the live broadcast. Maybe it was the live broadcast. I don't know. That show was like six hours. So I've been forgetting it, what I said, but I felt like I felt stoned out Sam Presti, Sam Presti, and you cannot ask for a better first draft than, than what he did. So um, shout out to even though our name is spelled the same way, his is pronounced wrong. But shout out to Raphael Stone. <laughs> I, I love that we're taking pot shots at, at Raph over here on the podcast. I love it. Um, now, so I do want to, f- you know, focus in and kind of dive into some of these picks and kind of revisit them because you and I have actually spoken about uh, both Alperin Shingun and Usman Garuba here on this very podcast before when we were talking some of the international prospect uh, prospects available in this draft. So I want to get to those guys, but. Your immediate reaction, just because I, I, I remind me where you were at with that number two pick. Were you leaning, thinking the Rockets should have taken Mobley? You know, I, I was on the Mobley train, went back to Green. How are you feeling with Green going number two overall to Houston? I was Mobley early in the process, and then as we got closer to draft time, I was all in on, on Jalen Green. I think even from just a marketing aspect, Jalen Green is the sexier prospect of the two. And even if, let's say, let's say that Mobley ends up being similar to who he's compared to, Bosch and Anthony Davis, that is a great outcome. I mean, that's two guys that are going to be Hall of Famers. Neither one of those guys won until they played with LeBron. I think they have one playoff series combined without LeBron. And in today's NBA, I think no matter how good you are as a big, you're going to need a dynamic wing to make, you know, in order to, to – to reach your full success as far as team success. And I think Jalen Green could be that guy that he is that dynamic wing that can lead a team far in the playoffs. So that's why I went I went towards Green towards the, as we got closer to the draft. You know, I, I, I keep coming away from it thinking how 
lucky this Rockets franchise is to go from, again, you had James Harden for the better part of this last decade, and now you're going to go into a guy who projects to be one of, if not possibly, you know, uh, a top shooting guard, the top shooting guard maybe one day in the NBA for this next decade. It's just really a, an interesting turn of fate, twist of fate, however you want to say it, that they would go from, you know, Harden to Green. And he really does. I think you're right when you talk about, like, you know, he's the sexier pick. He's the he's the guy who you can kind of envision being the face of a franchise, really embodying that persona, um, you know, has killed it in all of his interviews so far and everything. But, there, you know, there are some questions about him, but I don't really want to get into that right now. Um, we've we've kind of hammered home Jalen Green a lot. I want to focus on the other guys. But before we get there, I do want to say, or I do want to ask you, kind of, if you're grading the Rockets draft, I know you, you threw out the name of the Hornets there. I mean, do you have like a grade in mind for what you would give them? Is it just a straight A? Like, how do you kind of encapsulate this 2021 draft for the Rockets? I'm giving them an A+. Plus. They got three guys who I, at one point or another during this mock draft season, had as lottery picks. I thought Shingun, I projected him to go 12. And then at one point I thought um, Garuba would be like late, late lottery, depending on the team. And they got three of those guys. And they got three guys who I thought were lottery talents outside of the lottery. And they complement each other. So it's not like there's a lot of redundancy with their picks. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess I've been kind of uh, labeled this international <laughs> guru. In a sense. And it, it, it's always a pressure when Chad Ford says it online. And um, so I guess uh, another bias I may have is that they got two of, at least in my opinion, two of the best international prospects in this draft. Before we move on and get you know into the specifics on Shingun Garuba, as well as Josh Christopher, I want to talk about him as well, uh, the final pick for the Rockets. What was the what was the most surprising move to you on draft night? Just out of everything, not even not even Rocket centric. Oh man, I mean the first two, that, man, there's just like three that come to mind just off the top of my head. One, Giddy going number six to the Thunder. I have no idea what Thunder are thinking. I mean, they still have Kimber Walker. You have. Um, Maladon, who I think he made all rookie team last year. You have Gilgis Alexander, you have Dort, you have a lot of guards. And then you drafted two guards, with Trey Mann and, and Josh Giddy, who I don't think are going to start for the team. So it's like, why well, you, you draft two guards in the first round that probably are not going to start for a team that's only projected to win 20 games, 25 games max. So to me, that didn't make a lot of sense. So that was the first one with, with Giddy going number six to the Thunder. We all thought, like I said, when Stone out Presti, Sam Presti, we all thought Sam Presti was going to win this draft and come away with the best players because he has so many assets. Well, Stone definitely had left with the best draft, in my opinion. And then I would say Davion Mitchell to the Kings doesn't make any sense to me. You already have Fox and Halliburton. Probably, if you ask anybody, who are their two most valuable assets are Fox and Halliburton, and then they, they're both point guards, but they can't complement each other. So what do the Kings do? They draft another point guard. <laughs> hey, King then, is Sacramento going to Sacramento. That's all I'm going to say. But it's a different front office. That's the thing that's crazy to me. It's not like, you know, the front office that selected Marvin Bagley ahead of Luka Doctors and Trey Young. This is a new front office. I know it's a very analytic-driven front office, and 
um, we're tied to the Rockets, but it just seems like that was another typical Kings pick. And then uh, Josh Primo at number 12 to the Spurs. Now, that was he, that was a reach. Yeah, I mean, he's so young. I think he's the youngest player in the draft. And I do think that if he would have played one more year of college, then he would have been a lottery pick in next year's draft because he's younger than a lot of the prospects that are in next year's draft class. So I think they did get lottery talent in him, but they obviously saw something. I mean, they're projecting way ahead. So that was kind of a shocker to me. But, I mean, I guess it's better to get him now than wait until next year when he blows up and then he is a projected lottery pick. So it was shocking to me, but I, I understand their thought process more than the other two that I mentioned. All right. Well, I want to get into Alperin Shingun. I want to get into Usman Garuba as well as Josh Christopher. And we're going to get there after a quick message from our friends over at Built Bar. Because look, why would you want to like eat a protein bar that wasn't the most delicious protein bar on the market? There's a reason we hype up Built Bar. They taste great. They're not actually, they're basically candy bars that are jam-packed with protein. They've got so many amazing flavors to choose from. You got raspberry, mint brownie, coconut brownie chunk, my personal favorite, salted caramel. Can't go wrong with any of the bars on their menu. Every single bar is low cal, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. Great if you're on a keto diet. Great if you're trying to lose a little weight. Maybe you're just trying to stay where you're at, right? Grab a couple built bars when you're heading out the door in the morning. Head over to their website, builtbar.com, and use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your very next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, chatting with in-house draft expert Raphael Barlow. Now, Raphael, let's start with Shingun because he's a guy that has already thoroughly impressed by playing in what is arguably the third most competitive league in the world, in the Turkish league, you would say? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's the second most competitive domestic league. But overall, the EuroLeague, which is a combination of all the mm-hmm. top teams in Europe, is, is second. I'd say Spain, ACB, is the best domestic league. And then the Turkish league is probably the next best domestic league. So, you know, worst case four. So, okay. so But, you know, accomplishing, you know, becoming an MVP at that age okay. and just – what what you're seeing out of his game, I mean, it's been a he is he the most talented international prospect in a minute? Is it I mean, obviously you've got Luca is right there at the top of the top of the list, but as far as what he's accomplished at his age already, is it comparable to Luca? Well, nothing's really comparable to Luca. I mean, he won MVP and the championship as a teenager, which is pretty crazy. And it's translated to the NBA, he may not have had the team success yet, but the individual success he's had it. And I mean, the way Slovenia is playing, they look like they could actually win a gold medal. So, I mean, he's already gonna put together a Hall of Fame career if they win a gold medal before he's 22 or 23. I'm not gonna put Shingun on that level, but I'd say to my knowledge of the international game, I don't think we've had a, a another guy so young win the MVP of such a tough league. So, yeah, I mean, it's probably right behind Luca. I mean, I think Rubio had a pretty good resume coming into the NBA. And he did win a EuroLeague championship, and he did play in the gold medal game. So between Doncic and Rubio, I'd say 
Chingun is probably like the most decorated international prospect coming into the NBA that, that I remember. When you look at his game, I mean, he's he's so polished for his age already, uh, you know, finishes almost everything inside the paint. But the biggest questions for him are going to be, you know, can he really extend that range and, you know, effectively become a five out option offensively? And there's going to be some concerns about his, you know, about his athleticism, about his defense. Is he going to get played off the court? Um are those overblown to you, or do you think those are some legitimate concerns? Is there anything in his game that you've seen so far that you think, let, let, I guess let's start offensively. His shot mechanics look good, so I don't think there should be a concern about him extending that range to the three-point line, right? Right, correct. Yeah, I mean, he has, even if you just watch him around the rim, he has excellent touch. I mean, he has so many soft-touch finishes around the rim to where, like, he, he plays physical, but he can, like, bang hard but finish soft <laughs> so he and he shoots a good percentage from the free throw line so i don't think as far as being able to extend his range is going to be an issue he's only 18 years old so even if it takes him three years to develop into a 30 percent three-point shooter on a decent volume in the nba he's still going to be pretty young so i don't see any questions the only thing I, I will say is i do have concerns about some guys like him that are like traditional centers trying too hard to become the modern NBA center and they forget who they were in the first place. So you look at Andre Drummond, right? Drummond just decided to, well, he, he was trying to work on his game and his shooting and all of that, but it seems like at the more he tried to add to his bag, the less valuable he became. While you look at Rudy Gobert, who's been the same player, and he's a $250 million guy. So, um, yeah, I don't want Shingun or, or any of like the traditional throwback centers to fall too in love with spacing the floor that they forget to go in the post. But then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you can say that is what extended Lopez's career. So I think there's going to have to be a, a fine line in the middle, but I'm – I just want to see some of the old throwback centers come back to the league. And if Shingun can be that guy to like usher in that era or make it so teams aren't afraid to draft those guys again, I, I would love it personally, but it would also clearly be good for the Rockets if he restarts the trend. Well, and speaking of some, I mean, just to throw out some of his numbers here, I mean, he averaged, what, 19 points per game, uh, 8.7 rebounds per game, uh, 2.7 assists. And that was the one that I actually wanted to ask you about is his passing, I think, has been, you know, something there. There's some, some clips out there where he's got some really nifty passes. He's got good eyes, some yeah. good court vision. And I feel like that's probably a bit of an underrated part of his game, you know, passing in and around the bucket, you know, finding cutters towards the rim, that kind of thing. Yeah, there's one particular play that stands out to me. He was on a fast break. He was on the left side of the court. And one, the fact that he's, like, pushing the ball in transition. And then he's on the left side of the court. He slows down and whips a left-handed behind-the-back pass to the cutter in stride. One, the confidence to make that pass is impressive to me. Two, the fact that he was doing it with his left hand stood out to me and three the fact that he could make that play so if he can make that play in a game it wasn't like you know some guys are extremely confident in pickup games and you, you see stuff that they can do 
that you don't really see in the game. To me, that's all I needed to know about him as a passer. Yes, it's one play, but the assist numbers were pretty good. But it takes a level of confidence, like I said, to make that type of play. And that tells me that he should be able to be like a really good passer in the NBA, not Jokic level. I mean, that's kind of a tough comparison because you can make a case and say Jokic is the best big passer of all time. And we've never seen a big put up those type of numbers as, as a center. But I think Shingun can definitely be a guy that, with his passing ability, makes teams pay for double-teaming him. You're either going to have to double him, or if you play one-on-one, then, I mean, I think he's a bucket down in the block. So that helps as far as from a team aspect is making everybody around him better, especially a guy like Jalen Green, who I think could be like a really devastating cutter. So I, I like Shingun as a passer, and I agree. It is definitely the most underrated aspect of this game. I definitely think it's going to be interesting. You know, some of the wrinkles that we never really got to truly see in Steven Silas's offense were, you know, utilizing his bigs kind of in the high post area, you know, some dribble handoff sets, that kind of thing, using them as passers um, with some more advanced offensive sets because they just never got the time and the reps to practice those things. Um, so that'll be really interesting to see how he utilizes him. Now, I can't remember who it was, but I remember, I do remember seeing somewhere, and maybe it was, it was either Schmitz or Gavoni, somebody said that. Shingun has the chance to be like in the rookie of the year debate this next season with how good he he's played up to this point. And then he might actually be able to like crack like 25, 30 minutes a night for the Rockets. Do you think that's a stretch or do you think that's actually has some legitimacy to it? No, I think it's legit. I think, I mean, the Rockets are in the position to give him all the developmental minutes that he would need to put up those numbers and the strides that he made. Like nobody knew about this guy at this time last year. I can say I knew about him. The only reason I knew about him was because I went to the under-18 FIBA World Championship in 2019, and he led Turkey to the final game, which they faced off against his new teammate, Usman Garuba. And so I had a chance to watch him there. I thought he was good, like, and I've mentioned it before. I thought, like, man, this kid has a chance to be in the NBA. I projected him to be, like, the guy who on draft night you see in the second round and his name, he never comes over, drafting stash guy. But the jump that he made from last year to this year was tremendous. I mean, like, you know, usually if it's a, a European prospect that, that you know, had the success that Shingun had, it's a name that been on the radar for a while. Like, they were talking about Doncic before um, his big year, which was the year prior to being drafted. We knew about Rubio two years before he was drafted. At this time last year, very few people knew about Shingun. So if he can make the jump that he made, I mean, he worked on his body last year. He's, he's a lot slimmer. I think he's a lot more athletic than he was when I saw him two summers ago. If he can continue on this progression, then I think the sky's the limit for him, and he could be first or second team all rookie. All right. I want to get into Usman Garuba next, as well as a little bit on Josh Christopher. And we're going to get there after a quick message from our friends over at rockauto.com. Because look, with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's basically impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why would you want to spend up to 30 50 or even 100% more for the exact same parts? Just visit rockauto.com 
scroll through their catalog. It's really easy to navigate their website. They have everything you need from brake parts. Uh, they've got tail lamps, motor oil, brand new carpet. I mean, you name it, they've got it over there. So head over to rockauto.com. And when you're checking out, when you hit the little shopping cart icon, and you check out, be sure to write locked on in there. How did you hear about us box so that they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Continue our conversation with draft expert, international draft expert. I'm going to make sure to throw that in your title every single time, Raphael Barlow. Um, all right. Let's go into Usman Garuba now because it's so I, – I love the fact that they basically like one, feels like the Rockets kind of hedged their bets a little bit with the double pick of Shingun and Garuba as a potential like safety net for depending on whatever happens with Christian Wood down the line, whether they keep him, if they, if, you know, they don't want to give him the payday down the line, maybe they want to deal him, something like that. But to, to pick up Shingun who is, you know – so offensively talented for his age, you know, some questions defensively. And then you've got Garuba, the flip side of the coin, defensive stalwart. And then offensively, there's some gigantic question marks. So what makes him, I mean, he, he guards positions one through five. What stands out to him about him defensively to you, Raphael? His toughness, his motor, his length, athleticism. I think he's a much better offensive player than what he's given credit for. Okay. He played on a Real Madrid team that was competitive. And he earned minutes because of his defense. But they did not put him in the best position to showcase what he can do offensively. A lot of times he was just kind of standing in the corner and shooting threes, which is not his strong. I mean, it's, it's not his greatest asset on the offensive end of the floor. He did have a couple of games where he knocked down a few threes. But I think that in the NBA, he would be best used as a role man. Just as a guy that scores off dump offs, garbage points, um, as a you know, like I said, on pick and rolls. But then the part of his game that I think is going to surprise a lot of people, which is another reason why I love the the two picks, is that he's a really good passer, especially at a short roll. So he's the guy that if you ran a pick and roll for, he can make a play in the middle of the floor, whether it's hitting somebody at at the corner. It's like, remember how in 2000, I want to say 16 or whatever, uh, maybe it was 15, the year that Golden State won the, their first finals, and teams were trapping Curry, and all he did was give the ball to Draymond in the middle of the floor. And Draymond was able to hit, you know, whether it was Clay in the corner for three or throw the lob to, I forgot who their center, I think Bogey was their center at that time, but he was able to make plays in the middle of the floor. Now, Garuba is not the Draymond point forward as, I mean, he's not going to be Draymond, but he can make plays in the middle of the floor. So I guess this is probably the best, the best uh, comparison. I always felt like that Rockets team with Harden a couple of years ago was one more playmaker away from being a championship team. Like if you gave the ball to Gerald Green and PJ, they couldn't do anything with the ball. It was like either shoot the three or throw it back to Harden. I always felt like, man, if they just had one guy, and, and the guy who I thought could have been perfect for them, which he was, was Josh Smith. <laughs> you know, think about all the plays Josh Smith made and that that comeback. So Garuba could be like that type of guy where in the middle of the floor, he has the the passing instincts to be able to make plays for others. So 
in my opinion, I think his best case scenario is like a Paul Millsaps type player. Okay. Where, you know, Millsaps was like a dominant rebounder when he came into the NBA, and that was kind of like his main strength. But over time, he added to his game to where even though he was a little undersized, he could put the ball on the floor a little bit and knock down open shots if he had a bigger guy on him. And then if he got matched up with somebody that was smaller than him, he could overpower the overpower him and still make plays out, out the post. So that is my best case scenario for Garuba. Not to go down too much of a rabbit hole here, but you're you're absolutely right on the James Harden playmaking, you know, front court player front because you know, you look at what he was able to accomplish with uh, half a season of Jeff Green on the team. And, uh, you know, when you gave him that that type of a role man who could make a play, make a read out of the middle of the floor with all that space, you know, it's that's a tough thing to do is to catch the ball on the fly and make a split-second decision. Okay, am I going to dump it off here? Am I going to kick it to the corner? Am I going to attack? Am I going to pass it back out? Like, what's happening? Um, and, you know, sir, not everybody can make that read. So it's exciting to hear that Garuba has that in his bag. But uh, with, I guess with the dynamic here, what I'm interested in is if he, if you think he's, you know, got promise as a role man, I wonder how that looks alongside Shingun because they're probably going to get some minutes playing alongside each other. Yeah. I, I don't imagine that it's only going to be Christian Wood and then one of the other two on the floor. And if neither of them can properly space the floor, at least sufficiently enough yet, I wonder if that's going to create some spacing issues potentially for the team. Maybe, maybe short term, but I mean, the Rockets timeline is going to allow them to develop. But I, I also see it as, you know, um, Shingun in the post finding Garuba cutting and right when the defender is looking to stop him from taking the charge, he whips it to, you know, the opposite corner, or he's just able to make plays. I mean, they're going to be young. I mean, they're going to be teenagers playing in the NBA, which is, you know, always tough. I like the – I mean, I still like the fit because I think both guys have potential to become at least respectable floor spacers. Right? I mean, Gruber had games this season where he hit multiple threes. When we when he's been described as an NBA prospect, all you're hearing about is how good he is defensively. Well, I appreciate you highlighting his offense because I, I did, you know, have some concerns there, but I feel a little bit better about it now, especially with the context of just you know what his role really was for that Real Madrid team. Um, now, I do want to say the one thing that stands out to me about him too is his wingspan, the seven foot three wingspan kind of helps make up for a little bit, the six, eight frame. So even though he might be a little bit undersized at that four or five spot, that wingspan really does help him out and oh, is definitely. part of the reason he's so effective. Right. Yeah. I mean, his wingspan is long as West Timer, So <laughs> <laughs> look, look at you earning brownie points. <laughs> <laughs> I know Houston, man. I know Houston. I got to go there next week. So um, yeah, but yeah, his wingspan and, I mean, he was dominant on the junior levels. And one of the things that makes scouting European prospects a little tough, especially in that situation, is when we evaluate college players, we're evaluating them against their peers, right? So when we talk about Zaire Williams, for example, everybody talks, oh, he was dominant in high school. And that's why I'm not believing that that year at Stanford was a real indication of who he is. Well, he dominated his peers in high school and he's only been judged against his peers. Well, some of the European prospects, they can dominate their peers, 
but we're judging them how they looked against grown men. The EuroLeague is a lot older than the NBA because in the NBA, you know, you have a lot of teams with young guys. Like, I mean, the Thunder team is younger than some college teams. The EuroLeague is a grown man's veteran league because there's no benefit to losing. So if you're playing, that's because you were one of the better players there, not because they're, you know, like Real Madrid had no purpose of developing Usman Garuba for their long-term program because they knew that he was an NBA player. So he earned his minutes. So we didn't really get a chance to see him, or most people didn't get a chance to see him or judge him by what he did against his peers. And against his peers, he was he was winning. I mean, his team from Spain won the under under 18s, and he didn't win MVP. It was between him and another teammate, but he was the most impactful player. Your uh, your good friend with the incorrectly pronounced name uh declared uh declared garuba the best defender in the world outside of the nba do you think that's a stretch do you think he's overselling garuba or do you think that's fair you know that's that's a i say the best upside defender in the okay. world i think there are some veteran defenders over in europe that are probably a little bit better but as far as just upside and ability to switch out on guards. I mean, there were plays in big games, like EuroLeague Final Four games, where they tried to pick on him. And that's the thing about Europe that I, I did appreciate. And, like, the first time I saw Luka Doncic play, he was, like, 17. And they were totally trying to pick on him because they're like, this is a kid. You know, we're trying to win. And Luka was able to, like, hold his own. So I saw that a little bit this year in, in the playoffs where the team that eventually won the EuroLeague one of their their things was they was trying to pick on Garuba. We're trying to pick on him. Make you know, like if you watch the FIBA play, there's so much actions, and you can like, you know, lose guys on backdoor cuts and, and so on. He was holding his own defensively, but then when they had him on like um, when they ran ball screens to get him isolated against some of the best guards, he held his own. Even got a couple steals and turned those into dunks. So yeah, I mean, I think that. I think that's a fair assessment. I think there's probably a few guys that are probably better right now, but long-term in the year, no, I mean, it's, it's an accurate assessment. Okay. All right. Before we wrap this thing up, let's get, I want to talk about Josh Christopher here for just a moment because of these four picks, he was the one where I came away thinking, all right, like, but my biggest thing was coming out of this draft, the Rockets didn't address, if there was one knock on these four picks, right? They really didn't address their lack of shooting, I think would be the biggest thing. And that's obviously something you're hoping that you can develop with these guys over time. But Josh Christopher, I wasn't blown away by the pick, especially considering there were a couple other names on the board that I was a little bit more intrigued by. Jaden Springer being the main one uh, that I was kind of hoping for. Quentin Grimes would have been a bit of a reach, um, but uh, Bones Highland as well. Another guy, some interesting names there. But what is the upside on Josh Christopher? I know he's solid in transition has some potential as a as a lockdown one-on-one defender is he like a drew holiday-esque type player no <laughs> he's like a he's someone that when i watched this film i was like he watched probably too much kobe bryant <laughs> in a sense that his game is like isolation one-on-one take tough tough contested shots now here's here's what 
about to pick that could be interesting to me. So Lugans Dort was a big time scorer at Arizona State, and he was strong and physical, and he didn't get drafted. The Thunder saw in him like, all right, with his motor and his intensity, he can carve out a niche as a defender. And then we can kind of get him to work on controlling his offense and being more so of a, a team player on the offensive end of the floor. That could be what they're thinking with Christopher because he has the strength and the body to be a solid physical defender. And if they can get him to you know, earn his minutes on the defensive end of the floor and then kind of like rein it in a little bit and, and you know, improve his shot selection and definitely improve as an outside shooter because he struggled with like catching shoot opportunities in my opinion. So he could come in and have like a Lugans Dort type impact as an early defender guy that, you know, eventually within maybe year two, he develops more so of a team oriented offensive game. I definitely think the the thing that I've seen from the little bit of film that I've, you know, kind of dive into so far on Josh Christopher is I feel like there's a little bit of a hitch in his jumper. Is that just me or I mean, you seeing that too? Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that has always been good with the ball. He's always been like a one-on-one player. And I mean, you look how physically mature he is. He was able to bully guys on the high school level. And even he was a good scorer in college. So he's never had to play off the ball, really. And even at Arizona State, he was on a team where the ball didn't move. So when he did get the ball, it was more so like, um, more so like your turn, my turn, so on. And so... Um, that's probably why he's had the hitch in the shot, but I think with with development, he can work on on being a better catch and shoot score. All right. Well, I feel I'll, I, I'm still going to reserve complete judgment on Josh Christopher because I do think that one he won media day, uh, the introductory press conference. I mean, he was a total character, and uh, it's very easy to see why people can, you know, root for that type of personality. Uh, but I want to see that translate on the court for the Rockets. But, Raphael, always a pleasure to have you on the show. What do you got cooking up for us? Oh, man, what do I got cooking up? I mean, this this draft process took up my whole summer. I was hoping that uh, I would, you know, be able to take a little break, but I'm off to L.A. next week and then Summer League. And I was hoping to start on my 2022 guys this week, I may be able to do it. Just depend on you know, staying in a hotel. That the Wi-Fi is, you know, not the best for uploading video content. But I really want to like continue the momentum that I had. So next, you you start to see me focus on the international prospects. I don't really like putting together like the high school videos of guys that are projected to be in 2022 draft. I mean, have you ever seen like the high school video footage, just like bad angles, low angles, and the coach is always standing in, in, in the floor. So um, I focus on some of the top international prospects because they actually have more professional game film. And then as the college season goes along, I start um, doing more so of the college prospects. But yeah, I'm not going to take much time off. I thought I had a pretty good run as far as like building my – I guess lack of a better term. My brand are just kind of bringing exposure to everything I've done. Building your empire. It's okay. You can say it. <laughs> empire <laughs> wasn't the word that came to mind, but I, I'll take it. So, yeah, I want to keep it up. And for 2022, I just want to make sure that my site and my video content is even, even, even greater. So that's what I'll be doing. 
Absolutely. Well, hey, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show, man. Uh, you can follow Raphael at Barlow500 on Twitter, but appreciate you stopping by. No problem. Anytime. All right. That is going to do it for today's show. As always, thank you so much for watching, for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.